back to another edition of the Hawk Off the Press podcast. I'm your host, Gazette Hawkeye supporter, John Steppe, doing a mailbag podcast this week. Got a lot of questions. Some women's basketball, some football things, particularly with the discrimination settlement. I'll first do the women's basketball stuff. I realize that a lot of people are ready to be done hearing about the racial discrimination lawsuit. So I'll get to the other stuff first and then... The people who are done with wanting to hear about it can skip the rest. So a lot of comments about how great Iowa women's basketball was this past weekend in Minneapolis. I was there, and it really was a phenomenal few days for Iowa. The Purdue game, obviously you would have liked to have that not quite as close, but still a win is a win, and then a quality win against a very good Maryland team, and then there isn't you know, enough words in the dictionary to describe the authoritative win that they had Sunday against a very good Ohio State team to win a Big Ten tournament title. Obviously, a Big Ten tournament title is a big enough feat, especially when you do it in back-to-back years. That just doesn't happen a lot. And then when you think about, okay, they had a 37-point lead at halftime, that really is unique. And... One of the comments, Robert brought up a great point about the passing and how good that was. And I think that's really something that's underrated, that this team does really well. Obviously, Caitlin Clark has the reputation for her logo threes. But if you look at her 17 assists from Sunday's championship game, some of those 17 assists were really good passes. And that's something that just doesn't get enough credit really. So that will be a fun team to follow along with in March. They going into another question about Iowa hosting, that is pretty much a lock at this point. Um, When tickets are available, I haven't heard specific details on that. I'm guessing that you'll probably hear more after Selection Sunday. Then have the Iowa women done enough to get a one seed in the NCAA tournament? I personally think that they deserve to be a one seed. Charlie Cream, the ESPN bracketologist, still has them as a two seed. So I think they certainly have a strong case to make when you look at what they've done recently. The downside that they have is that they have more losses than, say, in Indiana, for example. But when you look at how they're playing lately, it's a hard case to make that there are four teams playing better going into March than the Iowa Hawkeyes are right now. When you beat Maryland, Charlie Cream has Maryland as a two seed. You beat Ohio State, Cream has them as a three seed. That's a really good way to end the year. Of course, that Maryland loss at Maryland was bad but they had a chance to redeem themselves in the Big Ten tournament. So it'll be interesting to see what factors they consider. Do they consider those earlier losses? How much weight do they... Well, they're, of course, going to consider it. But how much weight do they put into those things versus a lot of the recent success will be the big question. The AP poll has Iowa at number two. That obviously would translate to being a one seed, the AP voters seem to think that they're one of the four best teams in the country. We'll see what the tournament committee believes. 
And then on interesting question about when men's hoops will adopt the late game advancement of the ball rule, where with a timeout you advance the ball. I don't have the answer to that, but I think that that's something that I would like to see the men's game adopt. Because you look at the Iowa-Indiana women's basketball game back on Sunday, February, I think that's the 26th. Yeah, it was the 26th. And the Caitlin Clark shot was really made possible by being able to advance the ball. So I think you would end up with so much more in terms of more potential to have game-winning shots, having a competitive final minute or a more competitive final minute than you have right now. Then got a question about when football spring practices start. That is March 22nd, which all of a sudden is coming up rather fast, about two weeks from now. So that will be the start of a really important development period for Iowa football. You look at it, the defense you're not too worried about with the defensive line having as much experience, defensive backs, a lot of experience there. Linebackers will be interesting to see how they gel. Offense, obviously, is the bigger question mark. How do things kind of come together this year? Cade McNamara thinks he'll be 100% by the end of spring practice. So how does his recovery progress? What does Joe Abus do with the ability to have a few more snaps during spring football with first-teamers, most likely, depending on how Cade's recovery goes? So it'll be a really interesting spring practice. Looking forward to, you know, getting a little bit of the peek behind the curtain there as much as we do get for that. And then that's kind of a good segue now talking about football into the discrimination lawsuit. I think pretty much everyone has heard at this point, but if you haven't, $4.2 million settlement to the former football players who are part of the racial discrimination lawsuit about half of which is coming from taxpayer dollars. So a lot of comments about people wanting Gary Barta gone from our listeners. So that was kind of, (laughs) you have been heard on that. Um, That certainly seemed to be a view among a lot of the fan base. And not surprised when you look at the track record of discrimination lawsuits that the University of Iowa has had to settle within its athletic department. This just doesn't happen other places where pick your, just pick out of a hat another athletic department and you probably don't have four settlements that add up to as much as those four settlements have added up to. Fans have a reason to be upset. This is a lot of money that... Iowa is having to spend on these lawsuits that in many cases can be preventable. A couple questions are similar. Is it possible for Doyle to sue players that accused him because they backed away from their claims? Similar question about a defamation suit after guys recanted under oath. I'm not a lawyer, so it's hard for me to say what exact legal grounds there is. But I'm sure this is a point of frustration when you have the recanting. And it even with the recanting is the $4.2 million settlement, which is kind of the point that Kirk Ferentz, well, part of what the point Kirk Ferentz made in his statement this week. So 
Um, another question, how bothered do you think Kurt Ferentz is that an outsider, a University of Texas professor, Leonard Moore, is peeking behind the curtain with regards to diversity, equity, and inclusion? That was one of the non-monetary conditions of the settlement, I would imagine. Now, I have not talked to Kurt Ferentz about this, so this is just what I would imagine, that Kurt could probably do without that. On um, you know, considering that there isn't really right now that outside voice, you know, that used to be the case until he decided to no longer have a committee on that and instead use internal DEI resources. So it's something that is different from what Kirk Ferentz has chosen to do in terms of his DEI approach since 2020. So I doubt that we would ever hear publicly if Kirk is not thrilled with this setup, but it does go against kind of his wanting to handle things, you know, himself or wanting to handle things internally without necessarily having those outside voices. A question do you think the head football coach and athletic director should resign? I'm not going to get into what they should do. I will answer what will they do. And certainly with Kirk Ferentz, I do not see this as a situation where he would resign over this. That's certainly not the case. With his statement of no wrongdoing, that shows, and yeah, that's kind of the perfect example of that okay, things probably aren't going to change a ton for Kirk as a result of this settlement. In terms of the athletic director, I think it's a depend a lot on the political pressure. Barbara Wilson has not done media interviews, and it's not from a lack of asking. She has been, so far, pretty quiet about it. But if the state legislature were to hypothetically hold the Board of Regents budget, if Gary Barta is still employed, well, the Board of Regents will probably be looking at their political challenges that they're facing with just the current legislative climate and say, okay, is it really worth it? I think it depends a lot on how much political pressure there is. And with that hypothetical example, it's not even that hypothetical considering what one Republican state senator from kind of east-ish central Iowa has said. So Annette Sweeney said, on, she tweeted on Monday that she took to the Senate floor to discuss the current situation at the University of Iowa, and she has called on the Senate to hold the Board of Regents budget until Iowa Athletic Director Gary Barra either resigns or is fired, Iowa taxpayers expect and demand accountability. So that's to me the interesting thing to watch. Now, if it ends up being political pressure that is the motivating factor, the legislature has a lot of other things going on, and I won't wade into the political world any more than this. And just they have other priorities too, aside from just the Gary Barra thing. So We'll see on that. That will be a interesting thing to follow. Along those same lines, if you're Barra, are you looking for an exit strategy? 
Well, the interesting thing is his contract right now is supposed to expire in 2024. And that's not very far from now. And you wonder, okay, are they going to renew? That could be the question there. So I, before word of settlement spread, I was at the Presidential Committee on Athletics meeting last week, and I asked Gary, just knowing his contract situation, about that. And he said that he's not too worried. He's been here 17 years. And the thing that he told Barbara Wilson, University of Iowa president, is that he'll be there basically as long as she wants him to be there. So I think in terms of exit strategy, that 2024 expiring contract does add an element to, okay, if they're going to, are they just going to let the contract run out? That would be a thing which wouldn't quite be Geary exiting on his own. But there are, you would probably, if you're Barda, you would feel better about this happening when your contract was for another five years than when it was for another, let's see if I can do math this morning as I record this, 15 or 16 months. So that'll be an interesting thing to follow. A question, is Brian Ference going to be fired directly? I would be very, very surprised by this. So kind of going along the lines of, I don't expect anything to really dramatically change for Kirk Ferentz because of this. So maybe the relationship between him and the university is damaged just because Kirk did not want to settle. So as his statement made very clear, but in terms of employment status, I do not anticipate anything really changing for Kirk. I don't directly anticipate anything changing for Brian. The one thing is if there does end up being eventually a change at AD, Gary Barta is Brian Ferentz's supervisor. And Gary Barta has the designated performance objectives. If there's a new AD, who knows how they're going to feel about the whole 130th offense out of 131 teams situation. And then a question about why didn't coaches have a chance to tell their side of the story? Well, theoretically, they could make a public statement whenever. Um, I am assuming that there is probably legal advice saying not to err your legal arguments that you would make in trial, you know, in just the public sphere. So in terms of why they didn't get a chance in court to make their case for not being culpable, I think the state had to clearly see some risk to this. And, you know, even with the players recanting things under oath, you look at it, you still have the Hush Blackwell investigation. You still have a lot of the facts of 2020 that really do not look good for the program. And the state must have seen people smarter than me who went to law school must have seen that there clearly was some kind of risk. And also the possibility of spending more on legal fees, where the settlement as two to one with the state appeals board voted 
was in the best interests of the state, despite the $2 million being spent on taxpayer dollars, which I realize frustrates a lot of people. So thanks again for everyone who sent in questions. You can join them in future weeks in the Hawkeye Sports Text Update group by going to joinsubtext.com slash Hawkeyes. Until next week, we will talk Hawks later. Get a daily update from the Gazette with our daily news podcast. Add it to your podcast player or your Alexa-friendly device to get a bite-sized local news update each day. Check it out at thegazette.com slash podcasts.